What are we gonna do for an intro? Mm. Hmm. Are you gonna dance like a monkey? <laughs> monkeys don't dance. Wait, do they? Bill, are you ready to do this? Always ready to do it as long as it's with you, Jeffrey. Oh, there it is. Episode 53 of On Taking Pictures. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris from FadedAndBlurred.com. You've you been to Faded and Blurred? You've been there, right? I've been there. It is the best photography site on the internet. There it is. <laughs> Thank you. <Yeah>. Uh, <laughs> and uh, with me, my favorite fancy photographer, uh, New York editorial portrait photographer, Bill Wadman. That was very psych of you. I like that. You're like, wait for it. <laughs> hey, you know, I'm sitting in a, a, a solid chair today. Yeah, you broke your Aeron chair. My Aeron chair died. So my it new was kind of funny because <laughs> we we were happy we we happened to be uh, 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 talking at the time, <laughs> and then Bill Bill reaches down to adjust the chair, and you hear this boom, <laughs> and the uh, the gas shock <laughs> wouldn't come back up. Apparently, that happens, right? Yeah. This is this well, is not an uncommon thing. It was kind of funny because the rest of the conversation, you look like you were at the kids' table. You know, I bought a, a, a size C Aaron chair back in the day, which is like the largest. Right. But I really should have bought a B because the C has always been too large for me. But I really don't want to spend another $700 on a chair. So I'll probably no, just get a not, new gas shock can, and get it fixed. Yeah. Yeah. What are the gas shocks? 40 bucks? 50 bucks. 50 bucks? Hey. So I'm going to order one. Uh, you ever have this happen to you where you're, you're, you're sitting there, right? You're sitting there and you're, you're talking to your girl, whatever. And, uh, and, uh, you, you, you turn around and, and there's Gregory Crudson drinking a glass of champagne. You ever have that? Uh, I can't say I have. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Who, who hasn't had that happen to them? <laughs> where'd, where'd you see Crudson? Uh, we went to Paris photo. By the way, that photo, the, uh, that photo of you and him. Oh uh, yeah. Totally Photoshopped composite. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, yeah he wasn't there. Yeah. He was, he was standing there with, with Kevin Bacon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, we went to we went to Paris Photo, uh, which was uh, amazing and inspiring and depressing all in one go. All wrapped into one. All wrapped into one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I could make a was. snarky comment right now, but I'm uh, but off. you know, a big thank you to Montserrat for uh, hooking us up with with passes. We got press passes for the day, so that was nice. Um, it was on the the Paramount Pictures backlot. Okay, so like in in old New York. Uh, and then, uh, the, uh, the galleries were set up on old New York, uh, and then the bulk of the photos were in the sound stages, which was kind of cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, uh, Gregory Crudson gave, uh, they did like a Q and a with, uh, him and, uh, Matthew Weiner the guy that created Mad Men and was a writer on the Sopranos. Sure. Uh, so it, really interesting. And, uh, afterwards, uh, Gregory was kind enough to sit and chat for a little bit and, and take a photo. So that was, that was very cool. That's totally cool. Yes. Now, what, what did he say to you? You know, I, I asked him about, uh, if he ever, uh, had the, the, uh, desire to revisit some of the places or, or even the people that he'd photographed before. Right. And he was like, you know, I was thinking about that just the other day 
that I, I think I'd really like to do that. I'd like to see uh, if I've changed or, or if, if the places have changed or, or what I recognize about the places or what resonates with me has changed. So he's like, I, I think I'm going to go back and do some of these things and, and revisit some of these places that I've, I've been to for 20 years, but I only made one picture. Look at you and Gregory Crudson, like, like mind to mind. Having a conversation. Can, can I ask, you had him, you could have asked anything and you didn't ask him why he doesn't just shoot his own photos. <laughs> you know, he addressed that. Couldn't you he, just click the plunger, dude? He addressed it, actually. I, I, uh, I recorded the entire thing um, and that came up and he said he doesn't like to hold a camera. Okay. He said it's, it's a couple things. One, he doesn't like to hold a camera, but two... He said it's very difficult for him to take pictures of people he knows. Okay. Even down to his children. He said it's very difficult for me to take pictures of my children. Okay. And when he's on set, he purposefully doesn't uh, interact too much with, with his subjects because he doesn't want to make the photographs personal, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. I mean, we talked about this. You told me a little bit about this story uh, the other day and- I kind of said it's it's interesting that that he tries to keep his pictures to the point where they are a blank slate to be imbued with meaning by the viewer. Yes, and yeah. and that is exactly the case. Look, it's a woman sitting on a bed. It's like, okay, well, what is she thinking? Well, I'm not going to tell you. You have to figure it out or mm-hmm. or stick on her whatever's going on in your mind. Yeah. Um yeah, they they asked him what kind of direction do you give and and he said less. <laughs> Did you ever see um those those tests that they did back in the day where they had like a a video of a man saying something compl- with a completely neutral face on Mm-mm. like so it's it's like a videotape of a guy just standing there staring at the camera completely neutral and they intercut it with photographs or or footage from a baby getting born or you know a father holding a baby for the first time or whatever and then the next intercut is war and the next inner cut is, you know, uh, two people fighting. But his expression never changes. His ne- expression never changes, but you think his expression changes because they keep cutting back to it and you go, oh, look how happy he looks. Or, oh, look how uh, angry okay. he looks. Like okay. the, you, you imbue onto it what you, see, what you saw. You know, right. The, right, right, the right, humans right. naturally do that, which has all kinds of meaning for people who have, you know, depression and that kind of stuff that like right. you're getting meaning out of things that aren't actually there. Like you think that they're there, you know. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think, I think I, we need to, you and I need to get invited up to, uh, wherever it is in Massachusetts and watch him work. Oh, I would love to watch. That's him. our next step is to get invited on set. Yeah. Uh, I want to be you and me sitting in the back of the truck with the smoke machine. I, oh, that would be amazing. And uh, you know, he was, it was funny because he was, hmm. We saw him again outside. Uh, walking into one of the sound stages, and that's where the where uh, the photograph was taken. Uh, and he was kind of awkward, sure, socially awkward, yeah. uh, very different than we saw Matthew Weiner later on as well. And you know, there's swarms of people around him. Well, because he's Hollywood, right? Right. And Gregory is just sort of, you know, kind of shuffling along, you know, doing his thing, and and people not either not recognizing him or just not bothering him. Um, and I don't know which it was, but, but he was very genuine. 
You know what I mean? Sure. It, there wasn't any pretense. He was very sweet. Um, and, and you know, it, it, I, think, I think it's important to have heroes. I think it's important to have heroes within the field or genre of, of work that you're pursuing, that you can look to. Okay. And, and not that you can, not that you can necessarily put them on a pedestal, but that you can aspire to. I think that that is a true statement. Um, I, it's an interesting thing though. Do you think that it's, that it's a necessary thing or a good thing to meet these people eventually? Um, no, no, I don't. I, because I think in some cases it could taint or even spoil the image that you have of them. Sure. You know, now in the case of, of Gregory, I think it was fantastic to meet him. I think it was great that he, that he took some time to, to sit and chat partially because he seems so removed after watching brief encounters. He seems his, his photographs make him seem so removed from, from anything, you know, that he's always in his own space. But then you, you, you see what he puts into his photographs and, and why he does this. You get a little bit of understanding. And then talking to him for a few minutes, um, he really does this stuff because he loves it. Yeah. You know, it's not because he's, he's not chasing a paycheck. He's not making these photographs because they're, they're selling for $150,000. That's sort of a byproduct. And he even addressed it. He's like, I, you know, when, when I started this, we didn't have money. We, everything was on a shoestring, you know, and you see a little bit of this in, in uh, brief encounters where, you know, they're not getting permits. They're not getting, uh, you know, they're making everything happen themselves. And it, uh, sometimes they get shut down. Sometimes they don't. And he says that, that, uh, whenever they made any money, he put it back into the production. Sure. You know, that, that meant that the next shoot could be bigger because we made a little bit of money, you know, until it's gotten to the point where he's got his, his DP that he's been working with and, and his crew, his camera, his, his, his design crew, his, his, uh, production designer that he's been working with for years and years, just like any other film director, but his films are one frame long. I mean, that's an interesting distinction. I think in some ways he's less a photographer and more a photographic director. Sure. Because he's sure. not taking his own pictures, because he's not retouching them, because he's not, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He's sort of like the, he's the, he's the, the creative guy behind all the technical people who actually make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it, you know, that's the kind of thing that, has only come in the past few years. Um, I don't think that, I think that that is a, probably a new phenomenon. The idea that like somebody that, that a photographic shoot is such a big production that the guy doesn't even use his own camera, that he's got a DP that he's got, you know, crews of people to the point where it's, it's that the, he's disambiguated from the, from the title of photographer, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, I, I will tell you that, you know, when, if people have been listening to this show since the beginning, they'll know that I sometimes crack on Gregory Crutzen. Um, yeah. And mostly just, I, I think you did more before you saw the film. I did more before I saw the film. I have more respect for him after the film. Um, 
and and I yeah I re- I retract all the really nasty things I said about him. Not that I ever said really nasty stuff about him. No. Um, but um, my snarkiness I somewhat retract. I'd like to have I'd like to have, sit down and have coffee with him. I was uh, giddy. Like, I'll be honest with you, I was giddy. You know I that happens like, mm. when you meet oh, man. I I've met a number of my heroes in my life now, and it's always a very strange thing, right? Uh, you know how when you see people and you're just like, oh, I've seen that actress before and she was a real, you know, jerk because she didn't whatever. It's like, well, maybe you caught her after she just had a fight with her boyfriend or, you know what I mean? Right, like, right, right, right. Or she was on her way to something she couldn't miss or, you know, whatever it was, right? That, that, that all you're seeing is a very small slice of that person. And if right. you catch them in a good moment, it's great. If you catch them in a bad moment, people are people are people, right? Now, some people are... It's a gray area. It's a you know, it's a gray zone and and some people are m- more nice more of the time than others, you know. More people are a little more pompous, a little high on themselves than others. Um but yeah, I I don't think I've ever been disappointed. Like when I I when I was when I met Buzz Aldrin, that was pretty big. In yeah. fact, all those guys, all those Apollo well, astronauts it, that I've met. And that's huge for you because you've got this sort of obsession with the Apollo program and the space program since you're a kid. Right. Uh, so yes. that's, yeah, yeah. That's, I'm, that's huge. I'm a nut. And then I'm here. I am shaking the hand of a guy. Yeah. The second I mean, that's man like a musician meeting Paul McCartney or something, a Beatles fan, you know, yeah. meeting Paul McCartney. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, but, and that was totally cool. Um, the time I met James Burke, who's the guy who did that connection show on BBC mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. in the day, that was amazing. I know it's like a small minor thing, but to me, that was that was like a highlight of my life, hanging out with him for an hour. Um, well, again, I, I think it's important to have heroes. It is. Uh, and and, and you, have you ever been disappointed when you've met one? Not so far. Okay. No. Okay. I, you know, it, it, you, you put this hero stuff in the show notes, and it kind of reminded me, uh, who was I looking at? I was reading an article the other day. And they said that imitation precedes creation. Do you think that heroes are there? Do you try to mimic your heroes? Is that why they are your heroes? Um, at different points in my life, I had. Uh, when I thought I wanted to be an animator, uh, I you know, would, would pour over the work of Ubi works and, you know, Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnson and, and, you know, the sort of the nine old men from Disney and try and mimic their style or, or, uh, um, try to make their style my own. And do you think that that is, um, do do you think that that, led to you becoming a better artist? Um, I think it, it made me realize that I wasn't them yeah, it's you know, like or, a, or trying to draw, you know, in the style that Chuck Jones would, would, would draw in. It, Every guitarist it, wants to learn how to play eruption. Yeah. I mean, it made me realize that, that, that wasn't, that their way wasn't my way. And I think even even making photographs, you do that. You you try and emulate the style of someone, and you realize that that in the end, you're shooting through someone else's lens. 
That, yeah, but I think you can do that and then sort of through osmosis keep the stuff that you that that works for you and throw away the stuff that's not. Yeah, oh no, yeah, absolutely. But but then that that in turn that becomes you. That becomes your own yeah. um style or 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 yeah. vision or whatever, you know, whatever word you want to use to describe it. Uh yeah, I think that that imitating someone whether you're a writer or a painter or a photographer or whatever uh, you're going to learn what works and what doesn't for you. Yeah. You're going to learn your own shortcuts. You're going to learn your own little hooks that you uh, then rely on for the rest of your career because that's what works. Yeah. It's, um, it's funny. The, uh, I got an email this morning from a friend of mine with a picture that he saw on some dating site that he's on. And he's like, did you take this picture? <laughs> and I did. <laughs> um and it's just funny that he recognized my style from the picture. He was like, that looks like one of Bill's pictures. From a dating shot. That's funny. Yeah. Um, you know, it was it was a, a serious photo that I took of somebody that they were just had as one of their pictures on a dating site. And and it's fine. You know, if somebody wants to get laid because of one of my pictures, I'm all for that. Um, <laughs> but you That's know very, what I mean? It's very kind of you. Yeah, I know. Um so anyway, it's just it was just interesting that yeah, but but I have cloned people, imitated people all the time, you know. One of the things that I that I found that I took away from, in fact, both Nikki and I, we were talking about this, that I took away from from Paris Photo was whatever you want to take photographs of, whatever you want as your subject matter, if you get it in front of the right people, somebody will not only buy it, but somebody will try and convince someone else that it's important. Uh, I, I think the latter is the bigger thing, right? It's not that somebody wants to buy it, it's that somebody's good at selling it. Yes. And this was, this was kind of the depressing part for me, uh, of, of the entire day was, uh, you know, walking around the back lot there. I mean, we saw, gosh, we saw Kevin Bacon and Kira Sedgwick. They were there and he's a big photographer. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was on Seliger not too long ago talking about his, uh, very lengthy love with photography. Um, but, you know, a bunch of Hollywood people were there that we, we didn't see. But like Jodie Foster was there and, and sure. Sasha Baron Cohen and, you know, like just a ton of different people. Right. And we didn't see them. Um, I did, however, see uh, Walton Goggins, who was on The Shield and uh, is, is on Justified and went up and talked to him for a little bit uh, because I, a week ago I was listening to an interview that he gave. He, he also is a photographer when he's when he's not filming he's traveling and and shooting all over the world and i was listening to this interview with him and i thought gosh i'd I'd really love to talk to him because i'd like to see how how his creative process works in front of the camera as an actor versus behind the camera as a photographer and uh it was kind of funny we were we were looking at these these uh big fred herzog prints that were gorgeous we'll talk about later but uh, and turned around and, and there he was. And I, he was kind enough to sit and talk for a little bit. And, and it, that was great. But I, I came away thinking, I am so out of place here. You know, I am so out of my comfort zone, surrounded by a people that are just impossibly beautiful, right? Yeah. Impeccably styled. Um, but B, I, I wonder how many people were looking at these, these photographs and letting themselves be affected by the images 
versus, wow, this is a really good investment. Oh, I'm sure there's a lot of this latter. And that's what, that's what bothers me about the Well, the, the problem thing. is that art has gotten to the point where it is a good investment for people who have a lot of money. And it also is a prestige thing, right? I have right. a Gregory Crudson print in my house. Right. You know? Not that they and, really and, love Gregory Crudson. It's just that, you know. Right. And this is, this is the thing, right? I mean, there, there, were a, like, there was a, an Abaddon print there that was probably five or six feet tall. That was just gorgeous, enormous. And I don't even know how much it was. I didn't ask. Um, it's more than I've got in my PayPal account, so it doesn't really matter. You know, uh, and there were, you know, Elliot Erwitt prints and, 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 and whatever. And that's fine. But I think that so much of, so much of, of this great work is, has been lost. So much of the, the emotional content of it or just the beauty of it has been lost in favor of can I make money on this in 10 years or five years or whatever. You don't think that was always the case? I think it is. It probably has always been the case. Uh, but unfortunately, it happens often after the, the artist or photographer is dead. Yes, you know, it's true. I, I, I read and I don't know if this is true, but I read that Pollock never made more than five hundred dollars on a painting. Yeah. Uh, but now the people that own Pollocks are making tens or even hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, and, you know, I, there's, I, I have a, I have a lengthy problem with this whole thing. Uh, I, I've a, a friend of mine, uh, works, uh, for the estate of a very famous 19th century painter mm -hmm. or, or, or it handles the estate of the, of this painter. And, the family still has a bunch of his canvases, you know, probably leftover stuff that was unfinished that no one bought back in the day, but you know, it's still in the family, that kind of thing. Right. And every once in a while they'd like sell some off to make money. And there, his granddaughter, this painter's granddaughter, who's now like in her eighties or nineties or whatever, lives in this fabulous apartment in Paris and gets a stipend from the estate of 25,000 euros a month. Wow. And every once in a while, she'll write or call my friend and ask for more money because she run out of money by the end of the month. Wow. You know? Yeah. And now this woman didn't do anything. Right. Her parents didn't do anything. Right. Her grandfather was is the one who did it. Is the one who did all this crap. And I, that kind of stuff drives me nuts. You know? Um, well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, art, not all art, but, but so much of art, is is really at its core such humble material? Yeah, yeah. Well, very I personal. Mean, well, I mean, just the, the raw materials of it. Oh, I see. It's it's, it's some it's, paste. It's it's a piece of canvas. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a piece powdered of celluloid. Pigment, it's yeah. binder. It's yeah. it's canvas. It's paper. It's it's celluloid. It's silver. I mean, in photography, at least there's silver. It's a block right? of rock. So you, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's something that I'm working through in my head and I haven't, I, I'm not going to articulate it very well, but it's something to do with, with beauty and how beauty has become a commodity it, that, that it's, uh, see, I'm not going to articulate it very well at all. I'm, I'm looking at, at, at a lot of this work and a lot of it was really gorgeous work and I was really affected by it, but I will, 
unless something drastically changes, never in my life be able to afford it. Right. Uh, and, and some of it was just crap. I mean, some of it was, you know, dripping with art school pretense of, of having to be explained to me of why it's important. Right. You know, why, why is this work important or why is this series of pictures important? And, and it just, it didn't resonate with me at all. Um, but, but this idea that, that beauty and art and things that you find meaningful, you can't ever, you'll, you'll never own a print of it. You might own a book. What's the difference? Um, see, here's my question is that if, if let's say a, a painting starry night, let's take a big famous painting. Yes. I can understand that a life size print poster print of starry night does not do starry night justice but starry night is three-dimensional it's got texture to it you know what i mean it's something more than the image where photography there is you know a picture by ache on the wall and then you have a picture by ache in one of your books you could that print a lot of times is pretty darn good in the book you could cut it out stick it in a frame and stick it on the wall does that limit your enjoyment of it beyond what it would be if it was an original print? No, I get what you're saying. And I, I think the, the, the rub with me, the disconnect is I, I would love, you know, like I'd love to have one of Gregory Crudson's prints, not so I can sell it, but I, I would love to have something that he had a hand in from concept to production to print. Okay. That it, it wasn't just, you know, mass produced on some, you know, offset printer offshore that he had a hand in it, that he saw personally the, the, the work that's hanging on my wall. Okay. You know, or, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it's very strange, but then, but then there are people like, like the, uh, the, the Fred Herzog work, you know, there's no way I could get something that, that he personally had a hand in. But I still am very affected by the images. I go back and forth over. Uh, I love the idea of of having an original of these kinds of things. But how much of that is just a fetish? It might be, you know. And and to your point, there are so many fantastic books. Um, the the Winter's Book that you got me. I love that book, and I look through it all the time. Um, uh, both of us just pre-ordered a, a Crudson book that'll be out in October. Um, I love books and, and I do get the same kind of enjoyment. Uh, I think that, uh, hmm, the idea of having a print, it's just there. You don't have to go, okay, what page was that on? I need to flip through it. Sure. It's just, you, you, you get up in the morning, you go make your tea or your coffee and it's there and it, and you just look at it and you. How many, people put, how many people put art on their walls? How many, how many of our listeners do you think actually have photographic prints of theirs or somebody else's on their walls? Other than, you know, here's my senior picture from high school or whatever. I would imagine not very many. Right. Why not? I they don't, don't think know. of it? I don't know. I've been trying to figure out a way that we could, that we could set up some sort of print barter. Where, yeah. where, That's a where good idea. Users, yeah, listeners to the show, photographers, whatever – they can, they can put up here, here's what I'm willing to print. And, and you go, you know what? I'll trade you one of mine for one of yours. 
That's a really good idea. We should set that up on the Google Plus group. I think that would be really cool. By the way, we topped 400 this morning. I love that. Uh, and I'm going to start with, with – there are a couple that I really like. Uh, God, the, the Peter Evans photo of the old cars. Yep, yep. Love that. Good shot. Yeah. And what are you, anyway. you going to give him, Jeffrey, huh? I don't know. <laughs> Gosh, I don't know. But I, I don't know. I, just, I think that's kind of neat because it's like, look, I don't, I don't want to sell your work. I don't want to buy it for the investment. I, I just – I'm affected by it, and I would love to – hang it on the wall and, and be surrounded by it. Sure. You know, it's, it's almost like I, I'm trying to make a conscious choice to, to, to surround myself with interesting people. I want to make that same conscious choice and surround myself with interesting work. Okay. That's a great idea. You know, yeah, I, it's funny. I, um, on my walls, I, we have a handful of, I'm such a dreamer. You say I'm a dreamer. You know what I mean? Yes. Ugh. It's just, Yes. Oh, well, I, you know, it's, but you know, I was thinking the other day on the, on the train down to DC, I was down in DC at night, the whole idea of like a, a dreamer or a schemer, I'd rather be a dreamer than a schemer. Absolutely. Um, so on my walls, I mean, I have a lot of my own stuff, like certain images and I rotate them around and whatever it is and, and, and swap them out. Um, but we also have, we have some, uh, prints by a guy named Jamie McKelvey, who's a big comic book artist over in the UK that my partner, conrad is 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 friends with uh i have a print on the wall by my friend craig uh, that kind of stuff you know craig graphic design craig yeah, craig ward yeah yeah and so i want to start sort of doing more of that you know collecting more yeah uh, i do too i i love that yeah. i love I mean, the you idea have a limited that. wall space that's the only thing about you know i know maybe you out in out in the west coast you guys have nothing but nothing but time and space <laughs> but well, you know, uh, I, I don't have much wall space because it's all windows showing me the palm trees outside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but do, do you? But so, do you think that this is a problem? That that hasn't it always been though. That that. Well, I guess no. It's funny. There's that scene in the Pollock movie where he he has a tab at the store and he brings a print to like pay off the tab. Yeah, he, well, he, yeah, he brings, brings a painting. Original. Yeah. yeah. Um, and goes home with a with a crate full of beer on his bicycle. Right. Now <laughs> and then gets drunk and drops it. <laughs> but 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 how you know isn't that always the case? Are, are, I mean how many times have you ever tried to pay pay for something with a print for, with your work? Uh I never have. Yeah. See I I mean I have before, you know. I mean not necessarily pay for something, but I'll bring somebody something and you know they'll be like, "Oh, you can have free stuff for a few days or whatever, you know, I'll buy you lunch for the next week. Right. Um, I, I like that idea. Um, I, I do like that idea. I like the idea of, of, of bartering and, and trading what I've put myself into for that, which you've put yourself into. Sure. All right. Well, we're going to set it up. We're going to set up a barter thing on, on. Yeah. The, you think, you think that's good? Yeah. It's a great idea. All right. Uh, we just got to figure out how it actually works. Hey, uh, Nikki was, was listening to, I got to share this with you. Nikki was listening to, um, I think it was the Slate Culture Gab Fest, actually. <laughs> and they were, anyway, they were talking about this, <laughs> this, this, this guy who, who, uh, had, had written to several or had written to this artist, uh, saying I've, I've, I've got uh, this this child who is autistic, 
but uh, really resonates with your work, really is affected by your work. Uh, and, and the artist sent this, this guy, uh, sent, sent, a, sent a letter and said, I'm very flattered, uh, and sent them a piece of their work. Okay. Uh, this artist was then talking to a friend who's, and, and relating this story, and, and the friend says, I, I got the same letter. Oh. I got the same thing. So it turns out this, this guy was, was using this story of having an autistic child who was affected by the work to glean free work. Wow, that's slimy. Okay, but here's what's interesting. Here's what's interesting. Most of the artists that they talked to said that even knowing what they know, they still would have done it anyway. They still would have given away the work because of the connection to the work. Whose connection to the work? This child's connection. Even if it was a scam. Even though it's a scam, right? As, Wait, as hold, long on, as, hold on a second. Even if they know that there is no child or the child is no, not no, autistic? Th- th- no, is there the is child, a child autistic? And yeah, yeah. Just- there is a child. It just wasn't uh, wasn't just one person. The guy was, was doing this apparently to, to several people, but there is an autistic child who likes art. Uh, apparently. Okay. See that, that would be the line, right? Like if the kid was actually into it, that's great. If, if it was just the father making all this crap up in order to get free art to sell. Right, right, right. No, no, no. Okay. I, I, point is that, that artists want to share their work. They want people to connect to their work. Yes. Yeah. They want people to be affected by their work. And just to, to kind of go full circle and wrap this up, if you're, if you're buying it purely as an investment, yes, you might make a profit, but I think ultimately you're, you're doing a disservice to the artist because you're denying someone who really has connected to that work, the work. Well, you're also thinking it's a binary thing. I think there are some people who love the work and are see it as an investment. I agree. Agree. I'm 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 not saying it's it's black and white. There there definitely are. You and I want to buy multiple Crutzen books. Yeah, well, not yeah. because we need to look at more than one at a time. Yeah. So No. Uh, you know, and and there was a there was a lot of work there that I that I would, you know, don't sign it. Don't number it. Just let me have it. Just let me, yeah. you know, let me buy it for, you know, $100 instead of 5,000. That's no fun for them. They got to sign know. it and number it. <laughs> I've signed a number of stuff. It's awesome. <laughs> um. there, was a, there was a picture of Guy Kawasaki. He was doing a book signing for his new book. And he's like, this is what they do, you know, at, at, at these signings. And he's, he's standing there. And he had to sign 450 copies of this book. Do you know how much that would hurt your hand? Oh, God. You like Guy Kawasaki? Uh, yeah, I do. Okay. I do. I, I, I think... Uh, um, I think that that his post Apple career is very interesting. Right. Did he do that much at Apple? Was he really that instrumental? Uh, depends on which stories you read, I guess. Okay. You know, I had a dream last night that I was helping to dig up Steve Jobs's body. Oh my god! Why would you do that? Yeah, and it, it's just creepy, man. And it was, it was like, all, but it wasn't like he died, you know, a year and a half ago. It was like he died hundreds of years ago, and I was like digging it up from a crypt. And it included a folded American flag. What? It was weird. It was a weird, weird dream. You need to go see somebody. <laughs> Believe me, I already do. <laughs> Multiple people. Um. Anyway, moving on. What else you got on this list here? Who's Peter Evans? Peter Evans. He's on the group. 
Oh, he's Peter the one Evans. Who the, the the car. Oh, the car shot. Right. Oh yeah 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 yeah. The okay. old car and like the, perhaps the junkyard maybe there was, thing. That is a great picture. Yeah, it really is. I think I think he could use a little more saturation. I think he could push I think that he further. Could use a little more saturation. <laughs> you know what you are. <laughs> a great great person. <laughs> he doesn't do his own posts, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> does Peter Evans actually hit his own? Does he press his own shutter? Because I don't think he does. And hold. <laughs> that is so great. Yeah. And hold. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a. I wish I had a large format lens that I could just hold up right now to the thing. I'd have to go get one. Did Good you stuff. happen to see? Um, I don't remember the guy's name, but it was somebody posted. I'll see if I can find the link real quick. Uh, a, a guy that's doing daguerreotype. Did you see this Vimeo video? No. Uh, Wait, a guy in our group or just some guy? No. Uh, Is it the guy who does daguerreotype? The guy no, who did it no, with no, Chuck Close? Because uh, that guy was not messing around. No, it's a modern daguerreotype. But they, they show a little bit of... Uh, the process and it's complicated and a big giant pain in the neck. They show it yeah. in the, the genius of photography. They show a guy making them too. It's fascinating. I mean, mm-hmm. you need to, you need to fume things in mercury vapor and, yeah. and you're, you're, you're it's really uh, a bad idea when it comes down to it. It's, but it's the thing that I, that I like about it is we, we've talked a lot about the print as objects or the importance of objects. And at the end of this thing, there's only one. There, there is only one, and it's this beautiful, shiny, mm-hmm. silver object. I have a couple. Which I, I it, it fascinates me. They're creepy. How so? How, why, why do you mean they're, they're creepy? Well, the ones I have are like from kids of the 19th century. Like I was given some as a gift a couple of years ago, and they're, they're just creepy because it's like some little kid from like, you know, 1880, like sitting in a chair and you're like, okay, so the subject matter is, yeah, that, is, that's what's creepy. And they are very three-dimensional. They have a, they have a certain look to them. The blacks are very deep. The contrast is very high. It's, it's, they're, they're, they're very interesting. Um, they're very cool. You know, it's funny. You and I though, we were the other night, uh, I was, I'm, I'm taking a trip up North, up to the great white North uh in a couple <laughs> weeks next weekend next weekend um going up to toronto and we're going by uh we're going via niagara and we're driving up and which means that we're kind of going by rochester uh rochester is where kodak is located if no one knows that and um you and i were chatting on skype and i pulled open a map of yeah, rochester this, this- this is how geeky we are. We're 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 surfing Google Maps of the Kodak factory together. Yeah. <laughs> Shh. People don't need to know this about us. And oh, that's great. But th- those factories are terrifying. You know, you oh, and yeah. I, you and I were staring at them for a while, going, "Holy crap! What is wrong yeah. with these? These places are huge." Yeah. Miles of tubing and pipes carrying all sorts of nasty chemicals. Yeah, exactly. And you just think all the people who are just who are who are are bemoaning the death of film, and you're just like, "Do you guys understand how awful this stuff is for the environment?" <laughs> like, yeah. this is not, film is not a good thing. You know, when it comes to, to, to you know, this is not heavy metals and, and all kinds of stuff. This is not good for the world. You know, um, 
I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be even going to put a link in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, so it's just kind of, it's crazy to me. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's just interesting that people like think that this is a good idea, you know, when obviously, so, so people, you, you were just saying about daguerreotypes. I mean, daguerreotypes, the old stuff, the, you know, the collodion and putting stuff in actual silver salts and all this kind of stuff. I mean, this is even worse than, you know, the, the stuff that we're doing now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just pasted it in for you. We'll put it in the show notes as well. Okay. Uh, uh it's crazy. Yeah, it, it is. It, hey, speaking and, of which Kodak, uh, selling their, Oh, I know. So, okay. Oh, I'll, well, I'll, oh, okay. I'll put this link in the show notes. I will, I can do that right now. Uh, oh yeah. Daguerreotype. Dan Carrillo. Is this the guy? There's a guy who is the guy who does, who's the big daguerreotype guy now. I think he's in New York. Maybe it's a different guy. Anyway, I will put that in the show notes. Um, the, so they're, so they're selling the photographic business of Kodak to, to the union, the Kodak union over in the UK. Is that what I, from what I understand? Uh, yeah, that's the way I get it is what is like, it's 3 billion and it's, it's UK pension. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah, it's the, it's the pension for the UK Kodak people. So all the workers at Kodak pay into a pension and, and that pension was owed so much money from Kodak that Kodak gave them the film business. Right. Now, the question is, two questions. Number one, the film business is still in the US, not in the UK. So these people are owning it, but are they still going to run it over here? And the second problem is, is that as we've talked about before that I've talked to, I've seen interviews and stuff, they're just like, they can't make smaller batches of this stuff easily. You know, they're no, designed no, to they, make a hundred thousand rolls. They can't make right. ten thousand rolls. Right. Um so it's it's gonna be interesting to see whether that actually even lasts. You know? Yeah, and I wonder where they're getting okay, according to the deal, Kodak would receive uh six hundred fifty million and the pension plan in turn would write off roughly two point eight billion in claims it uh has against Kodak. Um so where's all this money coming from for the, for the, the, the pension holders? Is it, is it just continued revenue? Uh, yeah. I mean, or, or they somehow, well, they somehow think they're going to sell it. Is it, is it just, is it selling off the equipment? Is that worth that much money? You know, the, I can't imagine that it, the, the book value is $3 billion. I wonder if it includes like the, I wonder if the formulations are included as some sort of like weird patent thing, mm-hmm. you know? Like you now own the rights to Kodachrome. Like or D76 or whatever? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The whole thing's interesting. We'll see, we'll see if it actually leads to them keeping, continuing to make Kodak film or if they just end up stopping. You know, it's just this slow, slow march. Sad yeah, slow it's, march. Yeah, it's just, it's an erosion. Yeah. It just keeps happening. Ah, upsetting to me. Is it upsetting to you? Um... It's upsetting, but at the same time, just sort of like, oh, well, what are you going to do about it? Okay. It, it, okay. We talked a little bit about Eggleston, uh, who, was, who was also at Paris Photo. Uh, we, we missed him. We didn't see him. He was there on Friday doing a signing. He was there? Really? He was there. Yeah. Was he drunk? Yeah. Was he like, <laughs> I, I don't know if he was, he was drunk, like, and I don't know if he was wearing the, the white leather gloves. That, <laughs> that, is, he, the, yeah. that <laughs> is the stupidest question I've ever been asked. Yeah. 
but he was there. And what was interesting, I, I saw some of his, his uh, dye transfer prints. Okay. Uh, and they were alongside some of his inkjet prints. Um, and Wait, the new inkjet prints that we've talked about? Yes. Now, to your point, the subject matter looks very Eggleston, right? It, it still looks very similar stylistically, compositionally, all of that. Mm-hmm. The difference is in not even just the saturation uh, of the dye transfer, just there's a, there's a quality, there's a chromatic difference. There's, a, there's, a, there's an intensity to the chroma of the dye transfer prints that isn't present in the inkjet prints. Kind of a saturation kind of thing? It's, it's, you know, it's, more, it's a depth. It's more than a saturation. And I don't know how, quite how to explain it, but it's, there's, a, there's a complexity to the color in okay. the dye transfer prints that isn't there. It's, it's subtle, but it's there. Okay. I, you know, last weekend I went and saw those dye transfer prints. It, it, did you only notice it though in, in comparison with the inkjet prints? Yes. And were the inkjet prints of the same pictures? No. Okay. No. I, and the inkjet prints were fantastic. And, and look, that's where, that's where it's at. Okay. The, a lot of these gigantic prints... They were, you know, probably printed on an Epson 9500. Yeah. Yeah. Or 9880 or whatever it is. Um, there, there is something kind of amazing about printing, the idea of printing a 20 by 30 in a dark room. Yeah. But that's few and far between anymore. Uh, no, yeah, no, it's entirely true. They had some big Sally Mann work there too, which was, it was interesting but th- it was interesting because of the process, not necessarily because of the subject matter. Okay. You know, last, uh, last week, uh, Tuesday night, I had some friends over cause Heather was out of town. And, um, so I was like, Oh, guys night. And we watched a movie and we hung out and I had the projector up or whatever. Did and, you watch roadhouse? Uh, no, we watched Jack Reacher. Oh, right. The Tom Cruise, thing. which was actually not as bad as I thought it would be. It was actually <laughs> quite enjoyable. Um, and, <laughs> And uh, the whole, the whole group thinned out a little bit, and it was me and Claude you, and Dan. You should Godsman. be a movie critic, Wadman. I know, right? Wasn't as bad as I thought. Not it would as be. bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> says Bill Wadman. Good thing of the New York Daily News. There's an opening at the Chicago Tribune. <laughs> sometimes. Um, so so uh, the, the the group thinned out, and it was me and Claude and Dan Gottesman, and I was showing them some of the footage that uh, Gary Yost had done from the helicopter. Oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. The behind the, the scenes stuff. stuff, yeah. Yep. Right. And so, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, our friend Gary is 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 doing this, uh, making a documentary about this uh, Air Force installation that has been abandoned at the top of Mount Tam, up north of San Francisco. And uh, and in part of this thing, he he got in a helicopter and he did a stabilized sh- video shoot from the helicopter, right? So he had his D800 on, on one of those gyro stabilizer things, those active gyro stabilizers. And okay, it's, it's windy up there and he's flying around in a little helicopter. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's windy up there all the time. And the footage is beautiful, right? Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's, it, yeah. It's gorgeous. So I was down in DC the other day and I, I had some time to kill and I owed uh, Gary a call. So I called him and I said to him, you know, it's, it's insane that what you did um, you know, 
you now did for you know a fifteen hundred dollar uh, helicopter ride and a couple hundred dollar rental of of the gyro, it would have been fifty thousand dollars or two hundred thousand dollars fifteen twenty thirty years ago to mm-hmm. do this if, shop if you could even do it if you could even do it and now you're literally doing it for what you can put on your Mastercard mm-hmm. and that is just amazing and the quality is better than you would have gotten twenty years ago yeah um, well look at the little the little black magic uh, the little pocket cinema cam yeah yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just it's just crazy, and and um, you know that that kind of thing just gets me it just gets me thinking. Yeah, you know he I I can't wait to see the final of that project because he's doing he's doing time lapse stuff he's doing three uh, D match moving where where he's going in and and digitally recreating the barracks and structures that was that were there and and then match moving it to the live plates and inserting it in do you think he knows some people who know how to use 3d studio you know i think he's figuring it out i I think he's knuckling through it (laughs) (laughs) and uh no and then uh, recently he had a helicopter uh, a a little helicopter a, a remote control helicopter shot Oh, there. okay. Like one of the little quad things. Yeah, he had a one D three or five five D Mark three up on a little quadcopter, and was flying around the site like low angle, which yeah. was really cool too. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's just it's kind of cool that you can do this kind of stuff for real now without a huge budget. Which kind of when you look at a lot of the crudes and stuff, you're like, okay, yeah, you have this huge bank of lights or whatever it is. Couldn't you have just stuck a flash up there? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like wouldn't that have been easier? <laughs> you know, yeah, um, I don't know. I don't. I mean, it's there must be a reason why he's doing it, and I, the part of the reason I can think of is that he likes the look of sort of the cinematic nature of the shoot. That it that if you were using a flash, it would just change the feeling of the whole thing. Yeah, um, I mean, I I think that he and and people like him like creating that world that they can experience. Yeah, and like if it happens, they're in it. Yeah, live. if it happens in a five thousandth of a second, you're not in it. Yeah, no, and and I I can understand that from a, a existential and experiential point of view. Yeah, I mean, I I think, but from a I need to get the photograph point of view, the other way seems a lot. Yeah, a lot the other way sense. seems a lot better. But it, it, it you're you're creating you're creating a, a a scenario where you are revisiting maybe emotions from or or feelings or even situations from your childhood. And you're working through those to create art. Yeah, sure. Which I think is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So we're gonna have to go to, up to Pittsville, Mass. You and me, Pittsfield. I I would dig that. Okay. There's even all just kinds, to see it. I there mean, are towns, all these little mining towns yeah, and whatnot. I'm telling you, man. Like that. I grew up not far from where there are places like that, even in Connecticut, and it's crazy. You know, we're taking this tri- trip uh, next week, and I was going to stop by Rochester and go see those factories, and maybe take some pictures. And I was like, "Oh man, I wonder if we have enough time to go to Centralia." You know, that town in West- eastern Pennsylvania that there was a coal fire underground, and they just abandoned the town because there's oh, a coal yeah, yeah, fire yeah. burning. Yeah, for like thirty years, there's just been this fire burning. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was uh, one of the catalysts for the Clean Air Act. Yeah, yeah. So it's really cool stuff. And I, and apparently it's still still burning. Yep, still burning. Quality. And some of the people there think it's the government trying to steal their coal. You ever hear that? <laughs> it's Obama. Yeah, yeah. He's trying to he's trying to steal your coal. Thirty years ago, when he was ten years old. Well, he's, he said something at the, at the White House Correspondence Dinner. He said uh, that he's going to start working on his library, and and there's been a lot of pressure to uh, to build it. 
uh, near his birthplace, but he'd rather keep it in the United States. Yeah, that was a funny joke. <laughs> See, I love the fact that he can make those jokes now because there's nothing else to run for. Yeah. Right? Because like, yeah. no one could ever use it against him and say, See, yeah. look, he admitted it. And it's like, yeah, no, yeah. dude, he was making a joke. <laughs> anyway, uh, you got anything else before we uh, talk about our sponsor? Should Should we talk about our sponsor? Uh, sure, we could talk Here, about like, that. You know what? I'm going to hold on. Hold on. You know the drill. What do you All right. Go ahead. I, I'm just I'm just preparing myself. You're prepping yourself. I'm pr- I'm I'm doing the the diligence, the preparation. So you're telling me that you have just visited Shutterstock.com. I just have, and, and, and I'm, you I'm, you are ready in the search field. I am looking through their 72 stock photos, illustrations, vectors, and videos. No, there there, there are more than 72 of them. <laughs> <laughs> they've fact, added five new videos no they add ten thousand a day my Damn friend it. i'm never gonna get this right and they have 20 million in their collection yeah they got they got they got illustrations they got photos they got vectors they got video clips they got everything all right what's the what's the what's the search today uh let's say look up smithsonian and see what comes up because i was down in dc at uh walking around the mall the national mall of the smithsonian uh lots okay so what what do we got we have 412 results for just smithsonian okay uh smithsonian museum that's another few hundred there you go we've got uh 1800 for the lincoln memorial 1200 over 1200 plus for the uh the 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 uh washington monument how about how about can can you look up um 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 Manassas? How do you spell it? Uh, uh, it's a M A N A S S A S Manassas. It's a it's a where the uh, first uh, battle of the Civil War. See if they one hundred twenty seven. There you go. Look at that's, that. That's more pictures than I took when I was there. It's beautiful. Uh, it's crazy. No, it's gorgeous there. Uh, but look, these people, they have the huge global image collection. You can find images across the world, find anything for your project. You got a website, you got an ad, you got a publication. You, this is where to go. Uh, you need just one image for your blog. You can buy that, or you're doing a mock-up for a client. You could buy that. Um, but if you use it all the time, you can go there and, and, and buy out for a month. Jeffrey, how much does it cost? I, I bet you it costs $10,000 to, to <laughs> for a month. <laughs> <laughs> no seriously no. let's say let's say let's say i run a big giant website like faded and com. <laughs> okay and i used 25 images a day which would normally cost me you know a couple hundred dollars for all those images sure but I, I want i want to use that many images every day for a month uh, it's going to do 249 for one month yeah if you want to go a year if you know that this is going to be a killer business yeah. and you're going to do it for a year 199 bucks a month for 25 images a day, 25 images a day. It's amazing. And look, if you, if I, I like the idea that you, you only need an image or two, like you're working on some pr- composite and you're like, man, I really need a yellow traffic cone, you know? Right. Like, do they have an image of a yellow traffic cone for me to use? I don't know, but I'm going to uh, go find one. Jeffrey's going to go look right now. That's, that's, I'm going to go look. That's what I was prompting you for. Uh, 890. Okay. And I'm sure there's one of those 890 can fit, can fit what you're looking for to paste into your composite. Right. Right. And this is better than going to do like a t-shirt or something. Yeah. Uh, with that yellow traffic cone, 
Uh, 199 bucks will get you two images for an enhanced license. Yeah, which allows you to print it on stuff. So you got you got swag. So it's it, look, it's it's less than you're going to pay some knucklehead graphic designer to to come up with it for you, or yeah. or some you know fancy New York portrait photographer. By the way, they're all knuckleheads graphic designers. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's true, and don't forget that you can there you can do light boxes. Uh, you can you can you can uh, look through light boxes and edit your light boxes and stuff from an iPad app. So you can sit down on your couch, look through images, put them in a put them in a light box, and you can share that with people to take a look at. You know, go back and forth. Uh, they're just they're huge, right? And they give you twenty four hour support during the week. So it's you know it's Tuesday night at eleven thirty, and you're like, man, that yellow traffic cone. I have a question. Get a hold of them, and the, the account rep rep that's dedicated to you will answer any questions you have. Uh, but you don't even need to sign up for, you don't have to pay anything to take a look through, go, go sign up for a free browse account, go to shutterstock.com. You don't need a credit card or anything like that. And when you decide, uh, you want to, you want to purchase, uh, you know, use the offer code pictures for, and you'll get 30% off any package. And, uh, we thank Shutterstock very much for their support. What's, what's the code? Uh, that would be pictures for, there you go. Yeah. Hey, uh, can I tell you how much I love the interwebs? Uh, why do you love the interwebs, Jeffrey? Uh, because I, I messaged Nikki and she just sent me the, uh, the, uh, the thing we were talking about, the artist, okay. uh, painter Chandra Singh usually sells her paintings to wealthy art collectors. So when she gets a letter from the father of a boy with autism saying his son loves her work, she decides to do a trade, one of her sketches for one of his. It's only later that she realizes she's not the only artist in her circle of friends who got the letter. Uh, it was I'm, I'm, my mistake. I'm mistaken. It wasn't the Slate Culture Gab Fest. It was This American Life. Ah, uh, This American Life. Wait, was she listening? She can't be listening. We're not doing this live. No, I messaged her. Oh, okay. Uh, where is this woman? She lives and works in Poughkeepsie, New York. See, I could have I could have uh, called You've her. You've been there? Poughkeepsie? Uh, friends of mine live in Poughkeepsie, yeah. Poughkeepsie I, is sort of like, you know, you, you hear the name Poughkeepsie. It's kind of like hearing the name Rancho Cucamonga. Yeah, no, it's kind of, it's, it sounds fake, right? Mm-hmm. We've arrived at act two of our show, act two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> was, that, was that you doing Ira Glass? It was a very bad version of Ira Glass. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a bigger fan of his uncle. See, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ira. I'm fine I, with Ira. I think Philip's going to be last longer in society, though. In, in I, you know, Ira is, Ira's in that, in the sort of the triumvirate of, of awesome hosts that I... He's no really Jad like. Abumrad. Uh, <laughs> Jad Abumrad is also in there, yeah. as as is Gian Gomeshi. Okay. How, how about uh, Merlin Mann? Is he in there? Merlin Mann is in there. See, it's got it's it's expanded. Charlie Rose is in there. There's some great hosts out there. You know, you and I, uh, and I should just point this out right now. You and I are incredibly lucky to have uh, the the our 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 co hosts on Five by Five. We are in some serious company. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's Merlin, you know, there's, uh, well, Dan Benjamin himself, the Horace Dead You guy. Uh, Up until recently, John Syracuse. Yeah. J- Jim Dalrymple. I mean, these are, these are serious people. Uh, Brett Terpstra. Way more serious than we are. Way, Andy, Andy Anako. Yeah. Way more serious what about than that, we are. What about that Trapani broad? Oh, Gina. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's big time. She's, she's the biggest time. Uh, <laughs> And a good friend of mine. Hi, she's Gina. The, she's the biggest time. <laughs> well, she's 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 number one on that list as far as I'm concerned. 
uh, yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to say that. And I'd like to say too, that, uh, you know, last week was our 50 or 52nd week, right? So that was a year that we completed yes. of, of doing this show. And, uh, we got a number of congratulatory emails and, and, and little notes from people on Twitter and on the group and stuff. And we just wanted to say thank you very much for that. And, yes. and a special thank you to uh, Supercart Girl, who uh, <laughs> who was hey, wait, very what didn't didn't you have have dinner with her or something? I had lunch with her the other. You had day, lunch yeah. with her, okay, yeah. Um, who was who was nice enough to to gift us some paper from Red River? So we uh, we thank her very much. Uh, hey, which uh, which matte paper did you end up going with? But um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not gonna happen. <laughs> not gonna do it. <laughs> At this juncture. All right. Uh, yeah, I didn't go with the. Oh, you'll the come map. around, Wadman. I actually still haven't purchased. I can't, I can't decide. You know what I went with? What? More of the San Gabriel semi-gloss fiber. Really? Yeah. I love that paper. Okay. You like it for color too? Yes. Okay. You know, I, I printed your copy of uh, Party on there, on that paper. And you you yep. like it? You think it looks good? Oh, I love it. Uh, it's it's hanging in Nikki's living room. Uh, I, I'm glad to hear it's hanging in Nikki's living room. <laughs> well, we've got them both together. We've got party and the oh, rehearsal okay. together. Sure. And plus, you know, you can't really take down any of the... Uh, what do you have up there? You don't even know. See? <laughs> What's that Plush. guy's name? Rauschenberg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you wish. <laughs> but I've anyway. Got, no, I've got a print. I've got a print of Rebus. Really? Mm-hmm. Very cool. Um, so anyway, thanks thanks to everyone who, who uh, said thank you. And yes. we, we love doing the show. Um, hey, some more news other than the Kodak thing. Do you see that Hasselblad stopped making the 500? Yeah, now what's that about? Because, it, okay, doesn't that camera take digital backs? Or does that not happen anymore? Uh, it does, but it doesn't have autofocus or anything like that. So I think a lot of people are going for the, you know, they're buying Mamiya backs or buying the Hasselblad, the H3 or whatever it is, right? Hmm. So no one's buying the 500. Now, for those of you who aren't in the know, Hasselblad 500 has been made for like almost 60 years. And uh, it started with the 500 and then it 500C and then now it's the 503CX or something. Um, but it's essentially the same camera. This is the camera that they used on the moon. Um, this is a, this is the camera that has been used hundreds of years or hundreds of years for 60 years. Hundreds also, of years. there's the been great used since the 1500, you know, my, my favorite scene, uh, photographic scene in pretty much any movie is in, uh, Capote, you know, the one with, um, Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yes. And there's a scene where he's just like, I'm going to have a, a photographer come up from New York to shoot you guys for this thing. And he brought Avedon up. So it was the guy playing Avedon. Right. And he shot with a Hasselblad and they actually use the real sound of a Hasselblad, which is that shink chunk, you know, right. right. Um, which I hey, just why has the there idea. been no biopic of Avedon? He seems like an extraordinarily interesting character. Uh, good question. I don't know. What do you think? I think somebody should do it. Okay. I think that, that I think you should make it. I, I should, should I play Avedon? Yeah. You should play Avedon. <laughs> um, but seriously, it's, it's kind of sad though, that the Hasselblad stopped making, I mean, that's a classic. That's like, that's like, you know, them stopping making the Leica M film camera, you know, aren't there, didn't they leave 
two or three of the bodies or two, or two bodies up on the moon. They left a whole bunch of stuff on the moon. Yeah, they, they left a number of them on the moon. Yeah, for each for each shoot. Somebody should go get that stuff. Uh, you know, I was thinking about that the other day because my sister works at the Smithsonian and, and we were up there and, and she got me a tour of the Air and Space Museum by the chief registrar of the Air and Space Museum, which was Fancy. really cool. Yeah. So this is the guy who keeps track of where everything is and what it has the numbers on it when they bring stuff in and send stuff out and whatever. This is the guy. And um, I'm going to become best friends with him. But that's <laughs> beside the point. The, the, the point is, oh, he will be my best friend. Oh, yeah. I will make it so um, he will have no choice in the matter. And I was just thinking about the fact that, you know, I wonder if by the time we go back to the moon, if there's a way, if, if we're going to make these landing sites, uh, if we're going to rope them off and put a dome over them, like in Futurama, you know, right. That this is, this is going to be, this is a national park of the first landing on the moon. Like, you know, the, 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 the Apollo 11 they didn't go very far at all. They went like, you know, 100 meters away from the LEM at their most in the couple hours they were on the moon, you know. So the idea that, you know, late, later things, they went miles and miles and miles. But the first one, they were just sort of like, oh, let's go outside and hop a little this way and hop a little that way and get back in. Uh, so you could easily sort of cordon it off. If, if someone were to go get it, let's say a, a private venture. Yep. Like, you know, Virgin Galactic or, yeah. or, you know. That's government property, man. They can't just stake that. If they, but the, the gear that's left there, would, would it still be property of NASA? Would it still be property of the U.S. government? Yes, I would say it would. You think they discarded it and so it's salvage rights? Yeah. Yeah. I think it would be tacky if you went up and did that, though. The if thing is that it? I bet you it would still work. Because the, the, the cameras they used in space, because they're in zero Gs, they couldn't use liquid uh, lubricants because they would b- boil off and get onto the lens. So they like rebuilt these cameras specially for NASA and used really fast Kodak film too. They used a special film too. For a good look. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, a uh, little sad. I have my, f- luckily though, for everyone, there are plenty of Hasselblad 500s around. I have a 500 CM and it is one of my favorite cameras to shoot do, with. Do you think that, that the bottom will drop out of them now, like on eBay or, or, or things like that? Or do you think it'll go up because they're they'll, still, they'll... they're already pretty cheap. You could, you could get a body, a back and a 80 millimeter lens for thousand bucks. I saw a beautiful one at, uh, there's a, a, a photo kind of a photo swap meet that happens in Pasadena, uh, every month. Okay. And, uh, I, we went, uh, this was probably two or three months ago. Uh, but they had an all black with an 80 millimeter. I mean, just pristine condition, absolutely yeah. beautiful. And it was like the guy wanted 900 bucks for it. That's not bad at all. It was, it was beautiful. It was tempting. Yeah. That's actually, I mean, that, that's a good price. And if you were, if you were going to use it, it's not a bad thing. You know, you're still going to be able to get that film for a little while. You know, they're not going to stop making 120, 220. Yeah. They're going to make that for a while. Um, so, but you know, you have to shoot film and you got to scan it if you want it in your computer and it gets expensive. And, but you know, my entire trip to Japan a few years ago, I brought only that camera, no digital, no nothing, no 35 millimeter, just my Hasselblad and about 30 rolls of film, you know, cause you only get 12 shots per roll. Right. And I shot very sparingly. I shot, you know, and it's kind of nice. Cause like I have 250 pictures or whatever from my trip and that's it, you know? Hey, did, speaking of which, did you ever figure out what happened with uh, 
the 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 two and a quarter film you shot the other the other day? No, but you know, there's not really any way for me to figure it out either. Um, yeah, it came out drastically underexposed by like three stops, and I had the meter was correct. See, this is the problem with uh, film is that you know you make one mistake, you don't know it until it's too late. Um, I probably did something stupid, or the lab processed it wrong, or I yeah, I don't know. It's not it's not it wasn't like crucial film, you know. But uh. A little sad. Oh, Jeffrey's now showing me an eBay. He's looking up. What are you looking up? 500 Look CM. It. See, that's yeah, a yeah. nice one. That's a long lens on that thing. <laughs> what? It's true. You know, the, funny. it's funny because the, the, okay, so the backs and the bodies are serial numbered and there are matched backs to bodies. And some people claim that you want to get one that is the actual back and the actual body together because that there it's a tighter seal or something. Oh really? Yeah, there's people who like that where that's like part of the the game. Interesting. Yeah. And they were huh. Not I didn't that, know that. Yeah, but the, the the problem with that theory is that there's people who have tons of backs, right? You know what I mean? Mhm. Uh, I don't know, it's just kind of silly. Um all right, what else we got on the show notes? They're they're beautiful cameras though. Gorgeous cameras and if you ever get to have one it's it's a very it's not a bad investment if you have the money and actually like to shoot that way. Uh, it's by far my favorite medium format camera. I've shot, I've shot, uh, the Mamiya rangefinders. I've shot Mamiya RZ. I've shot, uh, the Hasselblad. I've shot a, uh, 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 Rolly. What is, talk to me about process of, of shooting with it. It's, it seems to me, uh, a very similar process to the first time you get a, a, a Wacom tablet, uh, where you're, you know, as as a, as an illustrator, you're used to watching where your hand is. You're used to looking at what you're drawing, right? right? You get a Wacom tablet, and now there's this disconnect for uh, a little while that you've got to kind of get used to, where you're not looking at your hand anymore. You're looking at the screen, and you're, it's almost like a fly-by-wire type thing. Well, uh, in- is there that same kind of thing because you're looking down into a viewfinder rather than? You're looking down into the viewfinder, but the only reason it's looking down is because there's a mirror in there bouncing it up, right? It just doesn't have the other mirror bouncing it back to you. In in, in 35 millimeter cameras, there's the mirror, the SLRs, there's a mirror that bounces it up, and then there's a prism that bounces it out to you. Where in this, there was just the mirror bouncing it up onto a focusing screen. Right, but um, if, I'm, if I'm looking through a DSLR, I, I'm left eye. So I can see what's going on in the scene through my right eye because I keep my right eye. Oh, open. I see what you're saying. See, I oh I don't do that. Okay, I got you. Um, I will tell you the actually the odd thing about it is that if you so there is actually a uh, sort of a, a focus tool like a loop that's built into the to the viewfinder. Right, you kind of pop out. Yeah, yeah. And that and when you do that, you are one eye on the on the viewfinder looking down, and it, it's very much like a giant version of what you would see in a, in a thirty five millimeter viewfinder. It's square, you know. If you have a matte focusing screen in there, it's it's very similar. However, mm-hmm. if you close the the loop and you have it a, a a foot or so away from you, and you look down with both eyes, you're actually seeing sort of a three D image because well because you're it's actually. You, you're, you're each eye is independently looking through the focusing screen at whatever's out in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. So you sort of see that it's, it's very three-dimensional. Not like three-dimensional, like it's standing on edge. But like if you move it around, things are moving on the, on the, uh, 
uh, on the focusing screen in a way that it would if, if as if you were like we're moving things in parallax, you know. Right, right. Um, it's also weird because it's flipped. If you just use the regular, you know, top-down viewfinder, it's flipped left to right. So if you turn to the left, it actually moves to the right in the image, like it's right. the opposite of what you want to do. Um, all of which is not a big deal, and you get used to it. It's sort of just it's kind of like you know wearing glasses that flip everything and suddenly your brain kind of catches up um Mm -hmm. it's 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 a very different way of looking at things and it definitely slows you down the thing that i think makes the biggest difference though i mean two things one square format which is very different to shoot with um and secondly the thing that always gets me is uh just the fact that uh uh how do i put this um it's it's you're lower right it's sort of the belly button photography thing right that when you're shooting with a 35 millimeter camera at your eye it's up by your head where Hasselblad at the lowest usually it's at your chest well so and, the uh, perspective the older, at which you're shooting is very different older 35 millimeter cameras even uh the Nikon F series some of them they used, used to have, have top down remova- finders yeah removable finders waist level finders and i'm actually jealous of that cuz i kind of like looking down um, I think it's, I think it's a nice, uh, the nice thing about it is that you don't have a camera in front of your face. Well, yeah. And as a portrait, so you're looking down, you're, you're, I, you're still face to face with the person. Yeah. Know? There's a connection there that I, that I would think is, is different than having a camera in front of your head. It is. It's very different. Yeah. And, and those Zeiss lenses for those things are really nice. They have those, the T star coating and all the rest of it, which was sort of like the original anti glare coating mm-hmm, stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing stuff. But anyway, so yeah, if you can, if you have a friend who's got one, you can borrow. Go do that because it's it's worth it. Hey, uh, you you got a new uh, a new lens? Oh, I did. I got the uh, the Canon forty millimeter little pancake lens. What? what, no, what, what was the reasoning behind this? What, was it a focal length that you're missing in your kit? Was it just something uh, you wanted to play with new or what, a what's number of the things? Deal? Number one, I had a gift certificate to Newegg. Ah, okay. Uh, for a hundred bucks, that I was like, you know what, I should look into that. And then a couple weeks ago, when uh, when uh, right before I went to the Met, we went and visited my friend for her little birthday party, and another guy there had the 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 D the six uh, D, which is the cheaper full frame Canon. Sure. Yeah. Okay. They're they're kind of entry level full frame. Yeah, and and I had um he had the forty on it, and I was like, oh, that's kind of sexy, just because it makes it so much smaller, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, the lens barely extends past where the grip is. So it yeah. actually makes this camera a lot more compact. It's like a little, uh, it's like a little hot rotted thing. And it kind of makes me wonder whether or not I need to invest in like one of those little Fuji things, just because this is now small enough to where, you know, it's not noticed as much. Right. Especially when I have it all gangsta black and they, right. they lowered the price. It was one ninety nine, and now it's like one forty nine. Huh. I'll put and, it, uh, sharp lens, very sharp and sharp at, at 2.8 where it starts. Wow. Which is what's really kind of amazing about it. Yeah. It's, it's, I haven't, I haven't spent too much time on it. Uh, I just got it yesterday and I haven't, uh, really taken, I took it out this morning just to mess around, but I only took a handful of pictures. Um, now, it's got the same kind of focusing system in it that my Fuji does that, that focus by wire. Yeah. Right. Motor system. Yeah. Uh, How do you I, like it? Um, I, you know, this is not a lens that I would normally manually focus, although it is much better. Some people say there's like hesitation in it. Uh-huh. Like there's like a, there's a delay. Uh, I don't really find that. Or if it is, it's almost imperceptible. 
Um, this is definitely a lens because it's so small and the focus ring's so small because of everything. Just keep it in autofocus and, and you know, unless you really need to or want to. Um, but yeah, so it's nice. And 40 millimeters is actually a really nice focal length because mm-hmm. it's not it's not wide like 50 is like a little too long sometimes but 35 is a little too wide so as just a general walk around lens uh i think it it could be really nice so they lowered the price yeah to 149 i'll put a link to the amazon thing so if anybody wants to buy one of these you should uh get it through would our you, amazon link would you use it as a portrait lens are um, you gonna play with it in that way or is it more like a street lens uh it's for me probably more of a street lens but i, I mean if i had to just, shoot with it i certainly could but 40 is getting a little long for you in the way that you shoot portraits, yeah? Uh, no, not lately. Um, it's it's just it, I just don't I don't think in in this focal length yet. Maybe mm-hmm. I will at some point. Um, but it's uh yeah I mean look for the, for 150 dollars for a really sharp lens. Uh, so on a on a on a on a um what's it called on a crop body it would be what like 65. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. nice. That's a, yeah. that's a nice focal length too. So for 150 bucks for something that's this sharp, um, I don't know that you could go wrong. Yeah. You know? No, uh, it's a, it's a nice, I, I got Nikki the, the 40 millimeter macro for okay, yeah. her Nikon and she loves the focal length. Yeah. It's nice. It's like, it's just, it's a little wider than, you know, you're used to cause you, a lot of people just stick with a 50 or something. And so it's like, it's nice. It's just, just enough. Um, the, the, the viewfinder is a little darker just because it's a 2.8. Mm-hmm. wide open uh which is one of the advantages of having all these big primes with huge apertures is that the the uh, viewfinder is super super bright but uh yeah so I'll, I'll give you i'll give you guys a good review when i when i do it later but uh when i get to play with it a little bit but yeah it's nice it'll probably be the lens that just sits on my camera when it's sitting in the closet so if i ever want to pick it up and take a picture that's the one i'll grab you know just to mess around right uh and definitely one that i will carry with me on trips and that kind of thing it's good it's good focal length um so we have some questions, right? Yeah, you want to do some questions, some emails, that kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, let's see. What do we got? We got, uh, you want to start with Mitch? Yeah, Mitch wrote in uh, asking about... I, you don't, I don't want to talk about I, this? Yeah. I, I, uh, okay, let, 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 let's start. Uh, what is your take on the graphic images that come out of tragedies like the Boston bombing? Are they gripping images showing the horror or are they just... Uh, news agencies doing the gladiator thing, showing us gore for profit. The more graphic the images, the more eyes, which equates to more money. Uh, even the basketball player that had the freakish leg break. I didn't see that. You didn't see that? Nope. Guy jumped up, landed. I don't need to see that. Yeah, exactly. Before I knew it, close-up images were plastered all over my Facebook news feed. No, I didn't see that. You know... I, I think there is a responsibility if you're if you're a news photographer, if you're a photojournalist, there, there's definitely a responsibility to show the events. That's your job, right? Right. Uh, and part of that is to show the horror of tragedy, to show uh, what these things look like. That's your job. Um, I think as a viewer, you get to decide what you do or don't want to see. Okay. But saying that that an agency shouldn't do this or should do it, um, I don't know. That's not for me to decide. I think that with the age of the Internet, I think that there has been more of a temptation for a lot of these different sites and stuff to go a little bit more gory. 
Mm-hmm. More sensationalized? Yeah, and I think there's more, you know, I mean, I'm sure back in the 19th century, things were really sensationalized too, yellow journalism and all that, but I think that we came around to a little bit more of a, maybe too far to, mm-hmm. to a controlled thing, uh, World War II, and then people said, oh, well, it's be- Vietnam, people turned against it because they could see blood because they were doing it in color. Right. Um, I think that I think that there is a place for the handful of iconic images that are going to define the event in people's minds going forward. Sure. I think that there is not a place for 200 pictures of people's legs and blown up. You know what I mean? I think that right. that, it, it, that it, becomes a Quentin Tarantino movie. And it's like, yeah, you want it that, evolves watch the to right. reality television. Exactly. And I, I don't know where that line is. Um, well, Bill, you have to ask yourself, what would Ann Curry do? Uh, Ann Curry would take beautiful pictures <laughs> and then go home and look at her beautiful self in her beautiful mirror. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, you see what I'm saying though. There's, I think, yeah. there's, I think there's a place for it, but there's a line, right? Uh, sure. But I think that that line is not really on the photographers so much as it is of the editors and the photo editors at the news agencies. I mean, that's, that's their job is to yes, I, I be think a filter. A- Yes, a, a, a photojournalist, especially a combat photojournalist, they're often reacting out of instinct, right. not, well, what are the socio-political right. and emotional ramifications of me shooting this? Right. We're taking the picture like what I, – I, I, it's, not, it's not my job to edit right now in the field. My job is to take the pictures and give them to other people to make right. decisions upon. Right. Yeah, this, it's not an editorial job, right? They're, they're collecting facts. Uh, somebody else is writing the article, as it were. Um, I so yeah, I don't know. I mean, in this case, you know, I saw a couple of pictures of you know a guy in a wheelchair with his leg blown off. I saw that picture. Um, didn't didn't see it. Didn't, uh, didn't. I think that the picture that I think that one thing that you and I talked about last week that you tended to disagree with me, but my point was, you know, there were t- hundreds of people with cameras there, but the pictures that ended up on the cover of Sports Illustrated and stuff were taken by professional photojournalist that there mm-hmm. is that you can't crowdsource the news like we're not to the point where no, I, I everyone everyone having that. cameras doesn't make them it does, doesn't make them equal to somebody who knows what they're doing with a camera i um, i agree with you yeah. but what i don't agree with is that we just discount everyone because they're using an iphone no i and i certainly don't i, I mean some people who are using a phone and 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 getting great pictures with it more power to them professionals whatever i mean that gets back to the It'll be interesting to me when people can put it up and not have to say that it's from a phone in order to like excuse it or put a label on it, you know. Um, uh, sure. Um, but 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 I I do I do think that this is a, a good example of where photojournalists still have a place despite the fact that everyone's got a camera. Right. Um, so it's it's interesting. So I guess that's our answer is that uh, I, I don't know how I feel about it, other than the fact that I think that too much is too much, and that there will be the half dozen images that everyone's going to remember. And then I don't know that we need a bunch more just to keep drilling it into our heads, you know? Right. Um, yeah, all right. That I do completely agree with. What else we got? We got, uh, uh, Rex Kersley wrote in, uh, with, uh, a link to a post by the online photographer, Mike Johnston. Yes. Oh, oh, but he, he, it was a post by C Tine, C teen. C T E I N mm-hmm. who apparently is, he himself is a, uh, dye transfer printer. Right. Talking about the limits of dye transfer and the limits of the limits of traditional darkroom and the limits of, uh, of inkjet. 
mm-hmm. and where one is better than the other. And if you're kind of a nerdy person, it's pretty interesting. Uh, and uh, what I what I like about it is that there's an acknowledgement where, hey, th- this subject matter is great yeah. for die transfer, but this subject matter might be better for inkjet. Right. He says when it comes to highlights, computer stuff is much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. Uh, Seems to be fine detail as well. Yeah. Uh, because in, unless you're matched up perfectly, there's going to be a little offset problem. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, man, it's, it's really tough process, the whole Mm -hmm. die transfer thing, but a very interesting article. And, uh, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Jeff Green wrote yesterday on the group about how he was frustrated because he went and took some pictures of some friends of his in some garden or something. And, uh, some botanical garden and he got yelled at by the police yeah, because he was a professional because he was using a 70 to 200 lens, no lights, you know, just available light, that whole thing. And it's kind of like and then apparently he he took off that lens, put a 50 on and went somewhere else in the park and was shooting and no one gave him trouble. Yeah, see, this this is strange. Uh, th- there was a, the, the, a thing about interchangeable lens cameras being banned at the Kentucky Derby. Yeah. Uh, and, and you see this in several places where if you've got a, a professional camera, a DSLR, you, you can't bring that in, but a point and shoot camera or a super zoom or a micro four thirds yeah. or, you know, it's, it's silly, right? It's, it's silly. Yeah. You know, I, in many ways, I believe that, um, I believe that things like at the, at the, uh, the Derby, they are trying to control the story that goes out. Right, because that's that's owned by some big organization, and they have the news photographers who are there with the big cameras. And they, it was probably some deal with the news photographers that it wasn't going to be a billion people with long lenses stealing their thunder or whatever it is. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure that mm-hmm. was something. They say it's for security reasons, but I don't think it's that at all. I think it's just control. Is that is the, in that case? I don't know what the problem is. What is the distinction? Like somebody, somebody commented on Jeff's post and said, you know, there's a lot of us amateurs who spend a lot of money on gear. Is it gear that makes it me a professional? You know, I could, you know, I could, I could take, I could shoot pretty nice pictures with a compact if I have to better pictures than most people would take with a compact. Cause I just know more of what I'm doing with these things. Right. Right. But, but what's the, what's the deciding so, factor? So the, if their distinction is my camera, well, that's absurd. You know? Right. So I if you're c- using a 51, eight, you're an amateur, but if you're using a 51, two, you're a professional. Exactly. And this, that's ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous, but how else? And I can understand if you were in the way and had set up lights and were, you know, ruining it for everyone else, that's a completely different thing. But if it's just you and one person or sitting, you know, sitting in a park, taking pictures of somebody else, isn't that the point of a park? It seems um, to be. I don't, I, it's, it's, it's a very questionable thing. You know, I went and shot that, uh, that, uh, Hadouken thing couple, you know, last a week ago right, right, Friday right. up in the park. And I just sort of did it and I was using a flash and we had 10 people there and we had people videotaping me as like a little behind the scenes thing. And I, you know, no one bothered us. We did it fast and we were weird about it, but somebody could have, and we would have been yelled at and like, you know, who are you? But I wasn't making money on that. That was just me messing around. So where's the line? Okay. Even if I'm a professional, if I'm not doing it for money, if I'm just trying to make art, where is the line? You know, what about the guy who sets up an easel and starts painting in the middle of the park? Is he, isn't that the same thing? 
Uh, well, yeah. I mean, you need a okay. permit and you got to pay for it and you got to wait. It's like, it's crazy pants. Was it, okay. Was it North by Northwest that, that Hitchcock, they didn't, they just stole locations. They just showed up, shot, then left. Yeah. You know, it, you know who it, else did that is, uh, uh, um, for angels and demons, the movie in Rome. Oh, okay. Uh, Ron Howard. They couldn't get permits for a lot of these locations, so they just showed up with like handheld cameras in a van, hopped out, filmed, and jumped in the van and drove away. Yeah, you wild, know? right? Yeah, yeah. And this is you know multi, multi, tens of millions, hundred million dollar movie. You know, right? Um, yeah, it was it was Ron Howard, not Clint. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, it just goes to show you how far out this stuff has gone, and the bureaucracy of all this stuff is ridiculous. Um. But yeah, I, oh, it drives me nuts. But I don't know. Like, I think the only way to deal with it is go, oh, sorry, I didn't know. Walk away and keep doing it somewhere else. Right, right. That's really the only thing. Did um, you, uh, you didn't chime in on the, the, the discussion also on the group about uh, DSLR versus micro four thirds in terms of, of a lighter weight kit? I'm, sh- yeah, I'm sure uh, four thirds would be a lighter weight kit. I mean, they're smaller. I mean, is it appreciably smaller? Like it's going to save your back smaller? Well, right. it depends how big your digital SLR kit is. Is it going to, you know, my camera probably weighs two or three pounds with a lens on it. I'm sure your camera weighs a lot less than that. Um, well, it, it was interesting. Uh, it was Chris Connors wrote, wrote in on the, on the group. And there's like 20 something comments now yeah. on it. Uh, listening to other podcasts leaves me wondering why do people malign DSLRs being heavy, quote, with all those lenses, end quote. Everyone who buys a Micro Four Thirds or a rangefinder says they're tired of carrying their big camera and bag of lenses. Uh, when I want to go light, I throw a fast 50 on my camera and call it a day. I don't need to buy a new camera in order to be compact. I'm not saying don't buy a new camera if you want one. Just call it what it is. You want a new camera. Right. Uh, I think that... Yeah, no, that's true. And I also think that it's true. Somebody else, I think, was saying um, that, you know, it, suddenly a year ago when these cameras started going out, all the people on podcasts and shows and websites were all like, oh, this is the new thing. And it almost, it almost felt like a concerted effort just to sell more crap to people. Right. And I think that that's true. <laughs> you know, I don't I know. That, I, I, or I, I, like, think, I think there's a, bi- there's a big part of it. Everyone wants something new. You know? They do, but it also, I think, coincided with with uh, sensor technology getting to the point where you could get great images out of these smaller sensors. You could get great low light performance out of these smaller sensors. Yeah, no, I guess that's true. I, I just, I don't think that, I don't think that the camera weight is a limiting factor for all that many people. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, yeah, I guess you're right, but I don't, I don't see that as the big problem. You know? Okay. I don't know. All right. Uh, and then uh, somebody else. I don't else, know, man. I, I have one camera, one lens. That's all. Right. I have one camera <laughs> and 15 lenses, but I, re- <laughs> but I only use one at a time. You don't have one camera. You've got your 4x5. You've got your Leica. 4x5, you've got your Hossi. Leica, Hossi. The, yeah, you're, my you're, you've got all 5D3. Got all kinds of- I have a Canon AE1, but I don't use any of those. This is the only yeah. one I actually ever use. And, and now you want, what is it? You want the X100? Isn't yeah, that what you, you know what? I don't even know what I needed anymore. But now that you've got the 40? Yeah. All right. Like, I mean, yeah, I'd like it, but I, can I justify spending $1,000 on it? No. Yes, you could. If you can justify spending 3K on a monitor, you can justify a grand on a new camera. Yeah, but you know what? Let me tell you something. I've had, okay, so I've had, I've had cameras like this, you know, digital SLR for, you know, eight years or whatever. 
And there have been a number of times where I've been like, you know, I'd love to have a camera to carry around with me. And I've gone and bought uh, 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 what is at the time a high-end compact, like a little digital, uh, not a digital rebel, like the little, uh, what are the Canon ones? It's a rebel. Yeah, no, like no, a no, no, like you know, the little, the little handheld. Oh, like the, like the G10 or the G12 the or something smaller like than that. that. Like the little power shot ones, the little ones. Okay, all right. And I bought them, and I found that I've never used them, and I ended up giving them away or selling them. Like I've really? I've done it a number of times because I'm always sort of frustrated with whatever limitations those cameras have. You know. All right. So what does the little camera get me? It's smaller. That's it. You know. Does it give me any? any real advantage over what i have no not really not certainly not in uh uh image quality and stuff you know so it's like so what am i what am i fighting for if i don't i don't know it's i mean if i'll if i use big cameras and i want something a little carry around and i was made of money sure but i don't think i'd actually ever use it Mm -hmm. i think a lot i think you know what it is it's kind of like in the computer world when when netbooks came out and a bunch of people bought netbooks and then they realized they didn't use netbooks Oh, or, yeah. Or a lot of people, well, I, I bought an iPad, and you know how often I use my iPad? Almost never. Yeah. And I know a lot of people who never use their iPads. So so there's, you know, I think that there's a certain amount of, there's gear lust, and then you give into it, and then you're like, eh, that was a waste. Right. Um, so I don't know. That's how I feel about it. Uh, and then what else are we missing? We're uh, Somebody wrote in, let's see, Thomas Moore wrote in talking about photos in a series or projects. Do you, I think the idea that he was getting at was, to me, doing photos in a series or doing a project is something that is, is is deliberate from the beginning. I'm going to take this series of images, you know? Yes. As opposed to going back and saying, oh, this one, this one, this one, this one, and this one of the last three years will go in this series just because they all look similar now. Yeah. No, I, I like the idea of doing series. I'm, I'm doing a couple myself. Right. But it was an implicit thing from the beginning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm one of them is a, a, it's a dumpster project. I'm shooting dumpsters. Yeah. Look, looking for a new home <laughs> when, when this show fails. <laughs> yeah. I've got the cart. What do I need a dumpster? Oh, <laughs> uh, good. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think projects are great, especially the more rules they have, the better, you know, I'm shooting uh, black and white agree. with this lens and I'm shooting buildings and i'm only shooting them from below and i'm shooting them on cloudy days like the more concise it gets the the more that a project sort of holds together in my eyes well it 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 forces you i think to dig deeper creatively yeah sure to make it work yeah you have walls so (laughs) the walls are closed in so you have to dig down to make more room. yeah yeah Yeah. you know i've uh, i've talked about this before i have one camera one lens Right. Uh, and I don't have any lights. I have, I, I have a couple speed lights, but I don't have, I didn't buy triggers yet. So in effect, I have no lights, but natural light, which is the way it should be. Uh, it's, it's enjoyable. I, yeah. I like using reflectors and, and things like that. Reflector. I heard. Oh. <laughs> See what you did there. Hey, uh, who's our photographer of the week? Our photographer of the week is someone that I had never heard of until this weekend. Um, we were at the show and ran into Ibarrio Next Perello, friend of the show, Ibarrio Next Perello from the Candid Frame. Sure. He and his lovely wife. Uh, and uh, he said, hey, have you seen the Herzogs yet? And I thought he was referring to a couple. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. Um, so it turns out it's uh, the work of Fred Herzog is, is our photographer of the week. And it's 
fantastic work. Uh, street work, mostly Vancouver. Okay. And uh, I, uh, it's very similar in scope to uh, Lighter, Mr. Lighter that we've talked about. Drink. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you got you got almost to the end of the show. Uh, but really, really beautiful stuff, mostly during the early 60s uh, in Vancouver, in San Francisco. When cars were uh, cool looking and neon was classy. Yes, yes. Uh, late 50s, uh, there's some beautiful stuff uh, from the late 50s. Uh, just really gorgeous work. And, and the, the gallery that uh, represents him, I think exclusively – a uh, gallery called the, the Equinox or Equinox, however you'd like to pronounce that gallery uh, in uh, Vancouver. They had a, a, a very large showing of his work. And, and these were, you know, 20 by 30 prints. Um, and, and they're just, man, there's something about seeing vintage street work really big that I love. How big were the prints? 20 by 30. That's big. Yeah. And they looked good or did you, did they, did they, I mean, they weren't sharp to the, if you were right up in them, you know, they kind of become filmy looking. They're, they're, they're three foot sharp. Yeah. Okay. You know, three to five foot sharp. Um, but God, they're just gorgeous work. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous work. And you know, it, 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 I was talking to the, uh, the gallery owner and, or the, I don't know if he was the owner or the, just whoever was there representing the gallery. And it, we had a discussion similar to, to discussions that you and I have had in that, you know, was this stuff interesting in the late 50s, early 60s, or was it just life? We sure. find it much more interesting now because this is, this is a Vancouver or a San Francisco or a New York or a Chicago that no longer exists. Right. It's dead. And that's why it's interesting. Sure. What do you say? Uh, he said he thought there was a lot of truth to that because it's it's really just been recently that Herzog's work has gained in vogue and in popularity. Much like Saul. Much like Saul. Uh, that, that, you know, when he was uh, contemporary, when he was shooting, that he was just one of many that sure. were doing this kind of work, you know. But now you look back on it and he really did capture something special. Um, so, so he lived as a pauper for his entire life yeah, right, just to get right, rich right. when he's old. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, really interesting work. Uh, again, a Kodachrome shooter. So you've got that, that sort of trademark. Sure. Kodachrome color quality. Yep. Which is, is lovely. The orange skin tones. Yeah. But the very saturate, sure. uh, reds and greens. Sure. Um, have you ever tried any of those Kodachrome, uh, uh, like uh presets and things in Lightroom. Uh you know the, the Visco presets are very good. Okay. Uh and in fact they just updated Visco Film 1 to uh to include the the Fuji profiles. Okay. So that's kind of cool. Um yeah, they're they're nice. Uh their black and white stuff is good. Um I'll have to give them a shot. Yeah. Yeah, I I I haven't tried Visco 3. I'd like to. Um, we should give Visco a call and but, make that happen. Uh, yeah, generally, I, I like them. Uh, so how, much, how, are, how long are you going to save up to buy one of uh, these prints? Herzog's prints? Yeah. I think I'm just going to buy a book instead. I think that's a, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I can get the book for 60 bucks. So, okay. You know, that, wait, wait, that, do, that's do, a little more. 
All right, we gotta we're gonna have to I'll have to put a, some links in the show notes. Is there a particular book that you want that you think is good? Uh, there was one that I looked through at the show. One moment. Uh, it's from oh, what's the publisher on this one? Well, there's one just just called Fred Herzog photographs. photographs yeah, um, and it's like thirty eight bucks. There's a couple uh, of them. It's interesting. There's photographs. There's Fred Herzog photographs by two different people. Yeah. Okay. They had both of people. these. Uh, the the landscaped format book that's got the Army Navy store on the cover. That's yep. uh, the publisher is Douglas and McIntyre. That's a really nice one. Um, it, it was interesting. He said that they printed a huge run of this book, okay. ninety five hundred copies. Okay. That's a huge run for an art book. Yeah. Isn't that strange? Yeah. Yeah, less than ten thousand is a huge run. Most yeah. art books sell less than the the best selling books of all time are uh, are twenty five thousand that kind of thing. So art books people don't buy art books. Fascinating to me. Yeah, it's yeah. fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, all right, I will. So, put, I will put the link in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. Fred Herzog. Uh, fascinating. Hey, uh, if people want to find the show notes, if you go to five by five tv slash otp slash fifty three. You will find uh, the show notes for today's show. And if you uh, want to find us, you can do so a number of ways. Let's see. Email is podcast at ontakingpictures.com. Yes. We have our Google Plus group. So go on to Google Plus, search for uh, On Taking Pictures, and you'll find our community. Go yes. join us. Uh, I tweet at, at Bill Wadman, and you are at Jeffrey Sidoris, J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S. Yes. On Twitter. And you were at Faded and Blurred, and I am at BillWadman.com. And is there anywhere yep. else that people need to know? Uh, I don't think so, but I, I will mention that uh, later in the week we have a new spotlight going up on Faded and Blurred that you're going to want to check out, especially if you have listened to this week's show. Hint, hint. Yeah. Speaking of which, I think yeah. I think that uh, uh, our friend, uh, our, our long-haired lake-swimming friend needs to get a haircut. Long-haired lake swimming friend. You know. You don't think he needs a haircut? Look at the picture of you standing next to him. Oh. <laughs> no, I think it's fine. <laughs> oh, it's good. I like that that took you a second. It took me a minute. I was like, what? Oh, okay, that's right. Lake swimming. Uh, yeah. So, uh, new spotlight this week. Okay. Uh, you know, I can't keep a secret. We're, we're, we're going to do a spotlight on, on Mr. Gregory Crudson. He's yeah. Or, you know what? Within a year from now, you and I are going to be friends with him. That's my prediction. <sighs> you think? Yeah. I think we're going to be friends. I, you know what? I would just love to go have a, a, a coffee with him and, and just, Pick his brain. Well, you're going to have to come out to the East Coast to do that. So yeah, he he lives he lives like up in Massachusetts, doesn't he? Uh, or does he could be. New York and just spends a lot of time up there. Uh, I think both of those could be true. How long does it take to get there? Like to Pittsfield or something? How long does it take to get there? From here? Yeah. Mm, two and a half hours. Is there a train, or do you have to rent a car? What do you do? Uh, you could take a train to get a bunch of the way there, but not all the way there. So it's just easier just to rent a car. Yes. Why is that not good enough for you? No, that's fine. It's, it, you know, it's just fascinating. This, this, the, the, the you know, the older towns in 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 the East Coast and and some of the older Southern towns in in Kentucky and and Virginia. I, I want to see these places. I think they're fascinating to me. The coal towns that yeah. that sort of folded up and went away. The uh, problem is a lot of those places are now becoming just WalMarts. 
You know what I mean? Ah, uh huh, uh huh. But uh, but yeah, I mean, we can we can totally show that. Fascinating. Yeah, it's good stuff. Anything else before we wrap up? Uh, I think that's going to do it for me. Thank you for listening. Uh, if if you like the show, even if you don't like the show, leave us a review, leave us a rating over on on iTunes. Uh, you know, maybe pick uh, three friends that you don't think know about us and, and shoot them an email and say, hey, maybe check these guys out. You might like what you hear. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, we will see you next week. Yep, thank you. Bye.